Turn in your Bible this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and stand with us. This is our third and final part, Lord willing, in our series, What Are You Doing for God? What are you doing? Uh, the first two, I encourage you, if you've missed them, to either go to the information table, you can get a CD or DVD, or go online and watch them um, and catch up on this series. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's start with verse 8 this time. Paul telling the Corinthian church, We are confident and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, thinking of this time where we stand before the Lord, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done. Not planned, not purposed, not thought about, not started, but the things he's done, whether they be good or bad. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Before you're seated, very quickly, let me just quickly review the first two, and then you can be seated for the rest of the time, and I'll stand. That's why I get water. You don't get water. I get water because I stand. I asked you, what are you doing with the gifts, the talents, the health, the strength, the opportunity, and the years that God has given you? What are you doing as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you doing with your uh, calling, your assignments, the vows you've made and the promises that you've made to God? What are you doing with your influence? What are you doing with your testimony? What are you doing with your voice? What are you doing? Salvation is a, faith, a grace by faith, not of works. But everything from salvation flowing from it is works unto the Lord. How are you doing it? Are you doing your ministry, ministries willingly, soberly, worshipfully, faithfully, rightly and meekly? Are you doing it with joy? Are you doing it thoroughly? And are you doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit and with all your might? Father, I just pray before you now. I stand before you and I humble myself and ask you to anoint me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would hide me, O oh Lord, and let your words and your presence and your person be front and center. Let us see wonderful things in the scriptures. Open our eyes. Change us through the power of your word. Cut through the bone and marrow, Lord. Break through to the inner part of who we are and engraft this word to our soul that in the day of your appearing, we will not be empty-handed. That in the day of your appearing, we will not be ashamed but that we may with integrity, while bowing our heads, say, this I did for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Paul said, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but I'm following after Jesus that I might apprehend that for which he apprehended me. Why did you save me? It wasn't just to bring me into the family of God, because if that were it, he'd have saved me, killed me, and took me to heaven. What did you have in mind? What were your intentions and plans and purposes in my life, from small assignments to large, from short assignments to long? What 
I need to make my that of this. We spoke on the first session. What are you doing? And the second, how are you doing it? And now I want to get to something that's very personal, but it's very real. The motive behind what you do. The motive. Why are you doing it? That's why we don't, we don't present a need-based church. We need this. We have to have this. The need is not the call. The glory of the Lord is the draw. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. We reject and resist a social gospel that makes following Jesus only meeting the needs or primary meeting the needs. Having said that, if my motive, motive, the purest part of why we do what we do is not to feed the hungry, but to bring glory to Jesus Christ. If my motive is that, I will feed the hungry. If my motive is to bring glory to the Lord and let men magnify his name by my works, I will clothe the naked. I will be the friend to the friendless. I will be poured out. I will be the teacher. I'll be the preacher. I will lead in worship. I will be a a doorkeeper. I will give of my resources. When you boil it all the way down, there's only two motives, pure and impure. Now, having said that, in our frail body, Mind, emotions. I don't know if it's ever all the way pure. But the Lord, one of my favorite verses says, He understandeth and pitieth our frame. He knows our limitation. And I believe when the heart is, I want to bring glory to you more than anything else, then that is accredited to us. How else could it be said of David that he fulfilled the will of God in his generation? David the adulterer. David the murderer. See, it's the motive, why we do what we do. You can tell people's motive based on their countenance. You can tell people's motive based on their words. You can tell people's motives if they have to be recognized. And, you know, it's like little poodle dogs in the church. You have to bathe them with a certain shampoo and you know, certain fragrances and got a, you know, little bows. And you have to treat them like this. You, you have to always recognize them. But if the motive is for the glory of God, they are so aware that if they are ignored and unappreciated in this world, that it will be shouted in the presence of the Lord in the next world. What is your motive? Many, many will stand in that day and said, we did many mighty, wonderful works in your name. And he said, I don't even know who you are. Think of that. How many of your unbelieving friends would say, I've done many mighty, wonderful works for Jesus Christ? None. It's church people. That's why we must sober ourselves Throw ourselves in a shower of God's word. Wake ourselves up and answer the honest question. Why am I doing what I'm doing? If the praise dries up, if the recognition dries up, if the approval dries up, if the crowd gets smaller, do we wane or do we continue because our life is given as an offering, a daily sacrifice unto the Lord? Why are you doing it? Is what you're doing that which God has predestined you to do, expected you to do, and required you to do? Is what you're doing today for the Lord worth doing? Is it to be seen or recognized or appreciated by God or by man? 
Is it for earthly or eternal gain? Not only be careful, but reject and resist all of the Christian television that you see that makes you the center of your life where you're the one that's elevated, you're the one that goes to the next dimension, you're the one that God uh, validates and vindicates, you're the one ushered into glory. Years ago, and this man has passed away now, so there's no benefit in calling his name except to harm. But he allowed his church to wrap him in a Torah and sit on a throne and be carried on the shoulders of men through his church. When I saw that years ago, I made the statement to myself, nobody else in the room, I went, my Lord and my God, he'll be eat up with worms. You remember when the man presented himself, the emperor, as God, and God killed him. Whether it's instantaneous or progressive, I read, I don't know, I didn't see the medical document, that he was consumed with stomach cancer. And this is what I want to tell you. God will not share his glory with another. No man, no priest, no bishop. Uh, isn't it funny when the disciples, they'd have people kneel down and they'd say, get up, what's wrong with you? Whoa, I, I didn't ask him to do that. No, 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 no. And now we have men in flowing robes that hold their ring out. People kneel down and kiss them. We reverence them. They, we cry when they walk by. We go to their concerts and their conferences two and three hours early so we can be close to them. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, group me in with them. There is no celebrity but the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody gets the glory but him. We are unprofitable servants at best. We do what we do for the resplendent glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that our life might bring praise unto him. Notice when we get home, he never calls you great. He says, well done, you were good and faithful. Are you doing it for earthly or eternal gain? Resist the teachings that, uh, and the preaching that tells you invest this and get this from God. They may be right, but their motive makes them wrong. I know that everything I do for the Lord, he is going to bless me. I know that. But when you see on the book, how, on the cover of the book, how to get what you want from God, back up and say, no, 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 that's not my motive. I am keenly aware that when I give the Lord of my resources, he is going to open up heaven and pour blessing upon me. But the church today teaches it backwards. How do I get the blessing? Pull, put your dollar in, pull the slot machine, and get your blessing. No, you come meekly and humbly and say, Lord, I'm not giving it for this, but I know you're going to, I know you are, but I want to give this to you freely. I want to do this for you freely. If you're, there was places in the New Testament where Jesus said, they've already got their reward. They've already got their reward. They love to be seen and called rabbi and bishop and pastor and pope and cardinal. They love to have the, the fine seats. And we ain't got no fine seats here. We got hard plastic. We got great reward coming. Ain't no fine seats. <laughs> what, what, why, why would he put that in the scripture? He said, because I know your motive. You have always treated me with an honor and a respect. 
but it's for the office, not the man. The office, the, the, the assignment. You take away the Lord's hand on my life or any gifting, and I am mashed potatoes. Plain, bland, no butter, no salt, no anything. And there is a glory in him taking foolish things and putting his spirit on it to confound the wise. But I know who I am, and I'm you. I just happen to have this responsibility. And it's wonderful to honor the Bible says those in the body that deserve honor. He said, give them double honor because they're not doing it for their glory. And I, I get plenty of honor. I'm not preaching it that way. I'm just letting you know that there's a, there's a balance and a way. And if it centers around this world, it's not of that world. And if it centers around man, it's not centered around God. Is your motivating force cause or comfort? Is it, is it because it's convenient? Are you doing the easy one? Like there's two or three things you could do for the Lord. Which one will cost me less? He sees that. And that's, I mean, I'm speaking to us where we live. Does anybody else process that mentally? I can do this, I can do this, but Lord, that third one. Uh, that's going to cost. Your natural mind does that. There's a verse that sobered me years ago, and it's, it's, the Lord brings it up to me often. When the, you remember when they, Jesus was watching them give into the treasury? And, and the Jews, there were expectations of what way they would give. We, the church, are not bound by Levitical law, but they would come and they'd bring their tithes, they'd bring offerings, they'd bring uh, trespass offerings, turtle doves, and bullocks, and lambs, and goats. And then Jesus said, you see that widow? Who told him she was a widow? He said, I know her. He said, she has given all she has. Think of this. Not a tenth. Not a thirtieth. She put in two coins that equaled about a penny and a half. And Jesus said, she is broke. Not a diamond checking, not a diamond savings. But he didn't say, he didn't focus on the broke. He said, I know what she gave, and I know how she gave it, and I know why she gave it. And the motivation for the believer to pour his life out upon Jesus is that we know that he watches, and he notices. I don't know that I can teach this to you. It's a personal thing. I don't have scripture, so it's not a doctrine. It's not equivalent to God's word, but I'm just telling you my experience. There are Sundays when I'm preaching that I feel his anointing very strong. And there are Sundays where it's kind of medium, and there's others where it's like pulling nails with my teeth. I just blame it on y'all. I just say, you know, they're not, they're not listening, Lord. Uh, but there are Sundays... When I don't even see you and I just feel his pleasure. I just, I feel that it's, I'm doing this, but in my mind, I, I feel like the Lord's, that's my, that's my boy, that's my, I'm so proud of you. Now, that don't mean I don't get time out and whippings. That don't mean that I'm the perfect child, okay? But in the same way he spoke from heaven and said to Jesus, now, Jesus was flawless. I'm far from flawless. But there are the moments where I feel his pleasure. And I am more alive 
in those moments than in any other physical time because I was made for his glory and for his pleasure. We find our salvation in what he has done. We find our purpose and our, our fulfillment of that grace in what we do for him, for his namesake, motive. Are we doing it because it's easy or convenient? Are we doing it liberally and generously? Is what you're doing with your life today worth doing? You've heard me use this before, but we have visitors, so I'll use it again, and it'll sound like a new thought to them. So let me get this right. This is what the world says. From a teenage on, work and spend all of your youth and your health to obtain wealth. And then you get to retirement age and spend all of your wealth to try, buy, to, try to buy back your health, and then you die. That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. Many men spend 50, 60, 70 hours a week all during their 20s, 30s, and 40s to climb the ladder of success and get in their 70s and realize the ladder was leaning against the wrong building all along. Is what you're doing with your life worth doing? Yes, we have to work, but we can work for the glory of God. Yes, we have to pay the bills, but he did not birth us into the kingdom to make it. I'm just getting by. It's to not lay up for ourselves treasures here on earth, but in, in heaven where thieves do not, are not allowed and there's no rust or corruption. Number four. Now we're going to get a little personal. Y'all are so quiet today. Mark 8, 34 should be on your screen here. And when Jesus called the people unto him with his disciples, so the people and disciples, he said, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. It's funny that the modern day church invites us to live best life now. How to succeed, how to increase. And I'm going to keep driving this home until Jesus comes because your blood will be on my hands if I do not. They invite you to live. Christ invites you to die. They invite you to be high. Christ invites you to take upon yourself the form of a servant. Gird yourself with a towel and wash other people's feet. They invite, they teach you through kingdom principles how to be first in line. Jesus said, better to be in the back of the line at the back of the party. And when the Lord of the Supper comes in, he'll call you from the back to the front. It's a reversal and it's error. It's error. What is your works costing you? You remember when you first got saved, you said, Lord, if I can just stop drinking and smoking weed and, and sleeping around, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And then you get delivered from those things, and then you realize, 
oh, there's so much more mess in me than I didn't even see. And then you decide to start serving and you start working and then you see motive and you go, oh, because that lady made you mad and you ain't going to work beside her. And the Lord showed you that you are her and it's just this (laughs) overwhelming, you know, thing. And then I realized, okay, Ben and Leanne are singing in the worship team and they're, you know, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me and you you fall on the altar, tears, mucus, all of it. It's just a pool of, use me for your glory. And then a year later, after serving in the church, I feel so used. I just feel so used. The cost of serving the Lord is high. It starts with, if you would come after me, Deny yourself. That means tell yourself no. Pick up your cross, that torture device. It says your cross, not Jesus' cross. My my understanding through the study of Scripture all these years is that your cross is God's will for your life, which means it doesn't mean that God's will is horrible. It means that you don't get to pick. That cross where Jesus said if there's any other way, let it pass, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So to pick up the cross and follow after him. What do your works cost you? The cost to follow Jesus and to serve him is high. You lose control. You don't get to pick the direction. You don't get to pick the pace. You bury your dreams at the foot of the cross. You lose your freedom. Wait a minute. Jesus makes me free. Absolutely. Then you give him that freedom and say, I was a slave to sin. Now I want to be your slave by choice. A bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm a bond slave. When Paul would go to prison for preaching the gospel, he never said, I was a prisoner of Rome. He said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. You see? The cost of serving Jesus is high. Don't let anybody tell you different. When their faith increases them, Instead of decreases them, it's not genuine. Now, there is exaltation. There is healing. There is blessing. There is abundance in all of the above. But it follows. We haven't learned to descend into greatness yet. Descend into greatness. And mark it down that the cost to serve Jesus is high. I tell you what I appreciate about the Lord. He tells you up front and clear. He said, to follow me is going to cost your whole life. But it will so be worth it in eternity. If you, John, will lose your life. Picture yourself standing in front of a cross and digging a hole. And putting in all your plans and dreams and bury it. So you pick for me. If you do that, you will find your life. And if you clutch your life, you will lose it. As hard a statement as that is. I'm grateful for a Lord that shows me the fine print up front. Now the devil, you know how he fished for you? All bait and little bitty hook. Didn't tell you about anything and just wooed you. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, it's you. It's you. It's all about you. Be happy. Uh, Grab all the gusto you can. Come on, live for you, live for you. And get you far away from the father's house and beat your brains out. He lies. He deceives. Jesus doesn't deceive. He hangs naked on a cross and he said, see this? You see this? This is me surrendering to the will of God. 
But I didn't end there. And on the third day, God raised me and hath given me a name that's above every other name. And for you, if I died, you die with me. And rest assured that because I got up, you will get up and ascend with me. And you are today seated in heavenly places. You are seated there with him. We will rule and reign with him. They're not going to be anybody there ruling with him that doesn't serve him. You can't have salvation without works. Works do not save me. They are the evidence of my salvation. It's the proof, the lordship, the surrender. The cost is personal. No one can pay it for you and God will not pay it for you. You can't dovetail like, let's split it. Let's, let's go and split a meal. Nope. Your cost. I'm not asking you what your family has done for the Lord. I'm not asking you what your wife has done. I'm not asking you what your husband's done. And I'm not asking you what this church has done. What has your faith cost you to serve the Lord? To serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. It's not that you empty your bank account out and give everything away and lose your house and car. Picture this. Say there's two types of ranchers. There's a cattle rancher and a dairy farm. And both of them get saved. The guy that owns the dairy farm, the guy on the cattle ranch goes, kill all the cows, sell it and give it to God. Okay? He kills all the cows, sells the equipment, gives to the church. He's homeless. He goes, what do I do now? It was, it was like that firecracker that started off strong. You light it, go, it's gone. It's gone. The dairy farmer says, I tell you what I can do. I can sell these assets, but I'm going to keep these cows, and I'm going to milk them and give to the Lord every week. Some lives, God puts them on the mission field, or they're martyrs, and they kill all the cows. At one time. They, got, they die. They give their life. The other one milks their life and brings glory to the Lord, but both of them save nothing. There are men and women that have given their life instantaneously, but most of us are called to get as much out of our life and time as we can. He paid for salvation. We pay for service. He paid for freedom. We pay with our freedom. See, he's made me free, and now I willingly give my freedom back so that he can give me assignments and callings and responsibilities and the freedom is not taken from me. It's a gift. He paid with his life. We give that life back. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And for the joy that awaits us, we endure our cross. And we lay our life down willingly so that in that day, we might have the fullness of what God planned for us. His fullness was to see us come into the saving knowledge of his son and to be with him. Our fullness is to know his pleasure. To hear the well done. The cost is continuous. Thousands of little installments of yes Lord, yes Lord, yes Lord, yes Lord. That's how you die daily. When you want to say no Lord. And you say yes Lord, yes Lord, yes Lord. And pretty soon you understand that he is not your co-pilot. He's the pilot, owns the plane and everything. He, 
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And every time there's a yes, Lord, picture a switchblade that just takes a nick out of you. You don't die, but it's pain. your flesh doesn't want to say yes, Lord. It wants to be Lord. So the cost is continuous, and it's progressive. It gets higher the closer you get to him. He'll ask for years. He'll ask for, and, and I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm telling you, there are people that have worked their whole life, and they just, right at retirement, right at retirement. And then he says, now I want you to raise these two children over here, that their family, I want you to spend your life. Now, there's, they're not going to be yours, but every day, feed them, clothe them. And you go, well, we just got done raising kids. You know what I'm saying? But I, I've, I've already done my teaching. I'll just let the young ones do it. Well, if that's the Lord's will, fine. I remember 100 years ago. You know, when you get made, you say, I remember. It just means back there. You don't know how long ago it was. I was in Smyrna, Georgia preaching. And I heard the, uh, the pastor just told me after service or at dinner one day or in the foyer, I was talking to a couple he said, you know that couple you were talking to today? I said, yeah. He said, they paid our church off. I said, what? He said, they worked for Coca-Cola all his life. And we got ready to build this building. And they had $700,000 worth of Coca-Cola stock. And then he had his retirement. And he said, the most humble way he came to me and said pastor me and my wife just want to give this to the Lord and just this don't say anything and he walked out and he opened it up $700,000 now today's preacher would turn that around and say invest 700 get 7 million 100 full return no he said no just now how did that change their retirement it went from if Jesus tarries for the next 15 20 years doing everything we want till we have enough, we're on a budget. And all that time it was building up. It's yours anyway, Lord. And that church came out from under any yoke of owing anybody and thrived. My question is, it's not, oh, I wish I had 700,000. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Lord, you know if you'd asked it of me, if I had it, I'd have gave it. If we won't give 70, we're not giving 700,000. You think, the first time I gave the Lord $100, I thought I was going to die. I'm serious. I was in church. I said, oh, oh. I, I really did. It hurt. Because I was used to giving to who? Me. I wonder what it's going to be like when couples like that, that have given their life, their children, they go overseas, they sell their retirement away. And he, and he asked me, he said, now, how was your retirement after that? Uh, it was tight. What would you have done the money? I'd have paid for my grandbaby's school. I'd have put them in a Christian school. I'd have been a better supporter of them when they got old enough to drive. I could have helped them with their car. I could have helped them with their insurance. And the Lord said, but you did what? I gave it to you because you're more important than my grandbabies and my babies. And he said, now, great is your reward. What has your service cost you in time, energy, 
resources, dreams, goals. Know this. It's not important that Pastor John knows it. But know that God sees it all. And every cup of cold water. Jake Cox has probably poured me 300 of these. And I think of it almost every Sunday. Every cup of cold water is getting a reward. The cost is continuous. The cost is progressive. It's non-negotiable. How many deal makers we got in here? Work a deal, work a deal. There's no clearance sale in the kingdom of God. There's no clearance rack. Uh, when does this discipleship thing go on sale? Never has. No, seriously. I need to like, y'all take payments? It's everything. It's continuous. It's progressive. And it never goes on sale. God's will, if you don't remember anything else, God's will never goes on sale. It never has a reduced price to it. The cost is painful. That's why he used the cross, a Roman torture instrument. The cost is the same for everybody. Everything. The cost of your ministry, works, faithfulness is a direct indicator of future reward. Motive and cost is the indicator of future reward. If your ministry hasn't cost you time, it's probably not worth your time. If your ministry hasn't been expensive, it's probably cheap. And if it hasn't cost you relationships, it's probably because you feel that your ministry is not worth them. Although the cost is non-negotiable, God makes no one pay for it. Ben, if you'd come, please. So, these three lessons have led us to our last seven or eight minutes here. What are you going to do now? I am not appealing to you to work at this church. I'm not making appeals for rangers and missionettes and nursery. I'm not making appeal for worship leaders. I'm asking you, what are you going to do now? After seeing it in the Word of God, after hearing His voice, after sensing His Spirit and seeing the truth, what are you doing? What are we going to do? Are you going to spend your life on yourself? Or are you going to invest it in other people? Yes, there's the part of my life. I get the check, we pay the bills, we pay the mortgage, we pay the car, we feed the kids, we clothe the kids. But that's not just my life. I see Kelly raising them and you've raised them. We're either raising them for ourselves or for the Lord. What, what is the motivation? Where does it flow from? Knowing what we've talked about, what are you going to do? Saul knocked off the donkey blind. Who are you? I'm the Lord. What would you have me do? What are you going to do with the things in your life that weigh you down and the sins that easily beset you? What are you going to do with the people in your life that drag you downward and backward away from Jesus? What are you going to do with the music, the media, and entertainment that contradicts who you are in Christ and mocks His word and standards? What are you going to do with the buried talents, the call of God, your vows, and the need that's so great around you? What are you going to do with your time, your resources, your voice, and your witness? What are you going to do for the Christ who died for your sins and others who will die in their sins? What are you going to do for the church, the people of God, the purposes of God, the bride of the Lamb? I just want to go on record. It, it's not in my notes, but I want to tell you, I am so tired. I am sick 
I'm tired of seeing on social media people take pot shots at the church of Jesus Christ. I am so sick of it. Let me tell you something. The church on its worst day is better than the world on its best day. Oh, look at the church. Look at all of y'all. Let me tell you what the church is like. The church is like Noah's Ark. There are certain times of the day it just smells. But it's the best thing afloat, baby. And I'm going to spend my life with you. You know why I preach? First of all, God asked me. You're as close as I can get to Jesus. You're his boy. You're his girl. And if I love you and I train you and teach you and care for you and disciple you and baptize you and pray for your babies, in the end he'll say, John, what'd you do for me? I took care of your babies. Let me bring it closer home. What do you think would bless me more? Blessing me or blessing my babies? What are you going to do with the church? For the church. Give, serve, joyfully, willingly, abundantly, graciously, knowing that God watches. Look, look, look what they're doing for my church. See, I can't see him, but I can see you. I can't touch him, but I can touch you. That's why we train the kids. That's why we watch children Jesus wouldn't watch. That's why we do that. (laughs) Because you're the church. Your life is but a vapor. It appeareth for a little while and vanisheth away. What will be left of your life after the Bema Seat of Christ? The Bible tells us that every man's work shall be tried by fire. Every man's work. Which means, see, at the Bema Seat of Christ, the believers, all the believers will come before it individually and will be judged for the works, the deeds, not my sins. See, at the Bema Seat of Christ for the believers, there's a rainbow behind the throne, which is a symbol of mercy. At the great white throne judgment, there's no rainbow. They're not judged for sins. They're judged for sin, for the rejection of Jesus Christ. But at the Bema Seat of Christ, Jesus' eyes are a flame of fire. And that it signifies not just holiness, but knowledge. And he sees through, it burns through everything. And it gets down to motive and works. And it said there will be some people saved, but as by fire. Have you read that before? What that means is like if your house caught on fire and you get out. You got your, I got Kelly and my babies and I get out, but everything else is lost. He said there will be people in heaven that are saved, but as by fire, there's nothing left. What's left is what God did for them. But when the fire looks at your deeds and motives and whatever's left profit is whatever is left after the transaction has been completed and your life is a transaction and at the end when the fire burns away that which we did for self or glory or recognition of men all that's left is eternal it's forever and I'm not saying it like in a boast but I I just want you to see how there's so many connections Dave's been gone from this church 10 years and forever he'll be a part of the birth of seven campuses you see whatever's left will be eternal what are you going to do with the life you have left what are you going to do with the years that you have left or days 
What are you going to do with the strength that you have left? My heart thrills when I see Dave and Beth and I see Amy and I see Jason Comer and I see Drew and they're hitting the ball so far and I go, look at that. I got a small part in that. Any man that's a father at all wants his babies to do better than he ever did. Hit the ball. Hit the ball. I love Kenny Stabler. You see, they, and some of y'all don't know who he is, but those that do, you'll appreciate this. They're doing some interview, and they're talking about the Super Bowl dynamics between the Raiders and the 49ers and everything. And what are you going to do with the mismatch on the offensive line and their corners and everything? And he goes, go deep. How many of y'all know who the snake is? He just said, go deep. Throw it deep. What would happen if we went deep swung as hard as we could for the fences? Oh, we'd probably miss and fall. But what if you hit the ball? What are you going to do with the life you have left? My prayer is that today you settle it in a quiet place in your house or in your yard or your property. And you say, I'm all in for your call. It ain't about Christ Chapel. Way bigger than that. Not about John Wood or Simplice of God.
We're not trying to be greater than the person beside us. We're not trying to have the most visible ministry. We're not desiring to be seen. Just preaching so that we can be found faithful. High yield. High yield. So when the transaction's over, the Lord with integrity can say, could it be possible that he would say, John, you are good and faithful. You had more issues than anybody on the team. But your life fulfilled the will of God in your generation. I know this. I've never caught a fish with my pole out of the water. I've never hit a ball that I didn't have a bat swung at it. I've never arrived at a destination I wasn't trying to get to. And if you will give it all you have, you will have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God and they will be called great in the kingdom of God. Unseen here, known there forever. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.